0: Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of John. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for the right.
1: right back. Go ahead and take a seat. Pray with me. Father in heaven, help us today to see you, to receive you in your way, your way of making water into wine for them in their day and for us in ours. Use the words of a sinner like me to present your glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. I want you to close your eyes with me for a moment. Actually, close your eyes. I want you to imagine a nondescript kitchen. See the counter? I want you to populate that counter with 10 to 12-inch stacks of tortillas, about half of it covered with tortillas. I want you to picture a a five-pound bag of pinto beans leaning up against the wall, ready to be cooked. I want you to picture a The stove full of pans cooking rice. I want you to see the mess of preparing for a party. This is this is the image that comes to mind. You can open your eyes now, unless you're sleeping. Then go ahead. Just keep keep with the eyes closed. This is the image that comes to my mind when I think of my uh, my childhood home and preparing for parties. We like to throw parties, especially as the kids as we got older. My parents like to have gatherings. And we would always cook a big Mexican meal. When I say we, I mean my mom. And then I, I my brothers, and my dad, we would help. But mostly it was my mom. And we, we just had, that was our kitchen. Stacks of tortillas to make into trays and trays of enchiladas. Homemade taquitos just piling up. Beans like overflowing. Rice everywhere. It was this huge, kind of abundant mess of a meal. And it was Wonderful. I always joke that the recipe for the sangria was just uh, the amounts were just bottles of things. So it was like this many bottles of that, this many bottles of this, and this many bottles of And so you ended up with like four to five gallons of sangria. There's lots happening at these parties. Because you never really knew how many people were going to come. You know, the word kind of spread and you think like, oh yeah, we invited like, you know, 30 people. And then 60 people show up. You're like, okay, good thing you can just make this stretch but keep that image in mind as we come to this passage. Picture the preparation that goes into this huge multi-day feast. The budgeting, the planning. When do we start cooking? When do we, you know, when do we get this part going? Where are we going to put these ingredients? How are we going to do this all so that it all works? So that we have many days in a row of feasting and celebrating. That's, that's the image. Okay? So bring that, all of that. Now, for me growing up, I learned the unspoken worry of hosting a party is that you're going to run out of stuff. You won't have enough food or drink that somewhere, someone's going to walk through the line and there's going to be like a little bit here and a little bit there, but not enough to fill their plate. That's the unspoken like, oh man, that would be the worst. So I always have in the back of my mind, like, who am I going to ask to help out? Who's going to make the run to the store for the thing I forgot? Like who can, who can be on hand to help with this stuff? Put yourself in that place as we come to this story. That's what's going on. So in this day, a, a wedding feast, a wedding celebration lasts more than, you know, the, the requisite four hours. This is a multi-day thing. There's a lot happening, right? This is a big, big party. This is what parties are made for. All right, this is what they're about, is people coming together, families joining together to celebrate, to laugh together, to share meals together, to become what was two, to become one. This is a communal yes to a new relationship. It's a party. There's laughing, there's dancing, there, drinks are spilling, food's all over the place. Folks are showing up with their own jug of wine to contribute to the party to say, "Yeah, I want, I want to help out to make this a good, community-building, joyous occasion." And then I love it uh, Mary says it, the, the wine gave out. This is like, uh, if you've ever been at a dance party and somebody like turns on the lights, it's like, "Oh, time out. Like, everything stop. When the wine gives out. The party ends. This isn't just a functional thing of like, oh, there's nothing else to drink. But in the the Bible, wine is a symbol for gladness and joy. So when the wine gives out, the joy starts to dissipate. The celebration is ending. The the party's over. Now, now at a wedding, this 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 is not okay, right? This is a premature ending to a celebration that, that is important. This, this wedding deserves to be celebrated properly. So to end early is just not right. It, it should go on and on. We should be able to, you know, be like, kind of like pry each other away from the party at the end of a wedding feast. This is kind of heartbreaking a little bit. It's not the way it should be. The wine gave out. Wouldn't just be sad about the party, but also for the host, this would be deeply embarrassing. They they would have put most of what they had into ensuring that the party would fulfill kind of the allotted time. They would have done everything they could to make sure there was enough for everyone, the proper celebration that this marriage deserves. So they would have worked hard to make sure that those wine barrels... Didn't run dry. So the fact that it was even possible for the wine to run out would mean, this is a modest wedding. This is like regular folk. These are not extra rich people throwing a big bash and not really worrying about having enough. That was a real concern. So as Mary comes to Jesus to say the wine has given out, and implying, like, what are you going to do about it? You can hear the questions kind of whispered among Jesus' disciples. Remember, we're, we're two chapters into the book of John, so this, Jesus is a fresh figure in their lives. They've just heard the page before, literally in my Bible, one page back, first time saying, hey, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. And so they bring, they bring some questions into this moment, like, will this Messiah even care? Like, does this matter? Does the wine running out matter to this Messiah? And what will Jesus actually do about it? What can Jesus do about it? These are real questions for them, I'm kind of whispered in the background, as Jesus' mom comes and says, hey, wine's out. We've got to take care of some things. And after this really confusing interchange of Jesus kind of saying, like, yeah, not my business or yours, leave me alone. And then she does this thing where she just says, like, yeah, listen to what he says to the servants. And all of a sudden, Jesus is, is doing something about it. It's it's actually really confusing, and and scholars are not like set on, oh yeah, this is exactly what happened. You can kind of feel the gap in the conversation, can't you? Something happened. Maybe there were some eyes or some nudges, and and Jesus says, Okay, I'll act. So he responds in verse 7 and 8. He says to the, uh, the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. Did you catch it? The miracle happened right there. It's just like, done. Simple, quick. Takes it to the chief steward. The chief steward is just amazed at this wonderful new wine. So Jesus responds with what John calls his first sign. All the miracles in the book of John are called signs. He turns the water in these these jars, these stone jars, that are made for uh, holding water that's like a ritual purification water. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Turns that water into wine. And I think in doing so, Jesus, this sign is answering some of those whispered, kind of unspoken questions of, what's this Messiah gonna do? Does Jesus care about this? His answers to those questions that are kind of rattling around in everyone, his answer is, is this. We're going to turn this water into wine and infuse a a dwindling feast with community enlivening joy to the tune of 150 gallons of choice wine. Somewhere in there, the Messiah cares enough to do something that's very practical, but also very symbolic. Can you imagine the celebration just kind of picking back up? The music turns up. People are kind of back in the swing. The shock, the smiles. Can you imagine the relief of the hosts? Like, okay, I don't know what happened, but I knew, you know, some more wine showed up and the party will continue as it should. Joy restored, you could say. So, why does this small story, really small story, make it into John's account of Jesus' life. Why is this story one of and actually the first of the seven miracles or signs that John re- recounts? Is it is it anything more than like a really kind of fun and cool party trick that Christians are glad to say like yeah, Jesus made more wine for the party. That's cool. Is it something more? Can it be something more? about 30 miles out of the town of Missoula in Montana, there's a sign on the freeway that just says uh, Rock Creek Road. Exit here. Just before this sign uh, is the confluence of two rivers, Rock Creek and the Clark Fork River, and it makes this gigantic river that will flow into Missoula. And you get a glimpse of where these two rivers come together, and it's beautiful. And, and if you, like me, are uh, an angler, and you like to fly fish, you see that place and you think, man, I wonder how I could get down there and fish. You can kind of picture yourself right in, just right in the eddy. And then you get to the sign that says Rock Creek Road and for me, I grew up fishing on Rock Creek. That's where my, my family, we would always take some special like fishing trips in the summertime, my brothers and dad and I. And it's 70 miles of just dirt road along this river and it's in the middle of nowhere. But it's only a handful of miles at that, that one point from the freeway. So you see this, this sign that says Rock Creek Road and you're you're just a handful of miles from this other world. So every time I go by it, I just see my, I mean, I can feel myself putting on my waders, the cool air, I can hear the river, I'm ready to fish. I'm slightly addicted to fishing, if that didn't come across. But that sign just tells me, like, you're close, you're almost there. And that's the thing about signs. They're pointing you to something, right? They're saying, go, go that way. And they're telling you what's down the road. I love that John uses the word sign for these miracles. And for this one especially. Because the sign is not the end itself. It's not that cool to pass the Rock Creek Road sign. It's much better to go down the road and get to the river. But this sign is addressing some of the questions saying, if you're curious about what kind of Jesus this is, here's a sign. And I think it doesn't just address their questions of like, will this Messiah care? I think it actually comes to us and addresses our questions of what happens when the wine gives out in our lives. We all have those questions in some form or another. When our celebrations are cut short, or never get to begin in the first place. We come in a deep and real way to questions like, what kind, of, what kind of God are we really dealing with here? Who are we worshiping on Sunday morning when we show up to church? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you might come to, to this place with the questions like, who is this Jesus guy? What's he really about? Because so I got some questions in my life, and it's gonna matter who this guy is. Maybe you're asking like what are this what's this Jesus purpose in the world? Is it going to matter in my life or is this just some like cool thing for other people? When our proverbial wine runs out in life, we have these real questions. And I think this story, this sign points the way for us. I think it responds to us. So how does it respond? I just want to highlight one kind of clue in the details of this story in, in verse 6. John writes, now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Now we just read the story, so you know that Jesus goes on to use those very jars to produce this choice wine and kind of re-enliven the feast. And it ends up with his disciples having witnessed Jesus' glory, believing in a new and deeper way. But what's going on with these jars? I just want to draw our attention here for a moment to help us see the bigger picture that I think this sign is pointing to. So this water in these jars was used for ritual purification, to wash in order to fulfill the law, in order to be able to approach God. They kept them nearby so they wouldn't have to go to a river or some other place to wash. They wanted them close to the house so they wouldn't have to separate from the community. But this is how people lived in in relationship with God. This is what it meant to be the family of God. you, You fulfilled the law. So when you were ritually impure, you had to wash in order to become pure again and approach God. Jesus takes that very water... That's meant to be used in this ritual purification process, but has really become part of a system that, even though it was meant for good, it has become oppressive and burdensome to the people. It's a broken system. Jesus uses that water, steeped in years and years and years of tradition. He takes that water and makes it into the choice wine for the party. So we ask, what is this Jesus about? And then we watch him take this old way, this water in jars outside the house that has failed to deliver, that has become a weight on an entire people, and we watch him transform it into a vehicle for life giving joy and laughter filled celebration. As I was reading this week, one one writer wrote, this is purifying water into vivifying wine. One is certainly better than the other. Another writer describes it this way. Copious fine wine unexpectedly appearing in a context of apparent scarcity is a foretaste of what this new era will be like. It will surprise and gladden. It will overflow expected limitations and its upshot will be joy, celebration, community. In a word, a great feast. So we bring our questions to this story. What are you all about, Jesus? What do you care about? What are you up to? What will you matter in my life, and can I I trust you in that? Whatever your questions are, When your wine gives out, you bring them to stories like these, and I think Jesus responds with a sign of the new time, this new way, by turning our water to wine, scarcity to abundance, and offering overflowing joy. And he begins to replace this tangled up religious law with 150 gallons of choice wine a new era indeed. And this one defined, not, not by the rule books, but why, what John has earlier called grace upon grace. I think this is where we see a, a, new, a new way emerging where relationship fulfills the rule book. Now there's, there's a whole lot more to the story of Jesus than just this one moment. I think that there are there are parts of Jesus's story that are needed to address the moments in our lives when joy and celebration are like a distant memory. And don't worry. Jesus goes there. He goes to our suffering. He knows it. He knows his friends murdered. He knows unjust and racist systems of oppression. He knows what it's like to be treated unfairly and killed unjustly. He knows our suffering. And yet, somehow, some way, he still finds it important to replenish the wine. To start the whole thing out by infusing joy, by amplifying the laughter He turns the music up so the people will dance their celebration. So friends, all souls, my community, Jesus comes to our parties. He comes to our lives, to our stories, and brings a gift of choice wine, replacing our systems that are failing us just come receive joy celebrate dance with me in this new way this way of grace upon grace and overflowing wine will you join him will you receive the invitation Jesus offers himself, his whole self, incorporates our whole stories, invites us to laugh and dance and celebrate, be filled with the new way. Let's pray.